welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, with a very special show for you. Today, I am joined by John Ryan, teenage travel hacker extraordinaire, and uh, perhaps the youngest contributor in all of the Miles and Points space, contributor to MTM as well. And uh, you're in the Diamond Group and in our Facebook group all over Twitter. You also live in Las Vegas. Welcome, John. Good to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, to have a conversation with you because you're sort of like a teenage phenom when it comes to this. And I'm really interested to learn more about your backstory. And you also know a lot about Miles and Points. So I think we can get some good info from you throughout the show. But uh, just a little background on you with Miles to Memories. I think it was a couple years ago that we came across you on Twitter talking about Las Vegas and stuff, right? Yeah, so I remember seeing Mark posted, he had posted about having a potential podcast guest on the Vegas show. And then from there, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's history from then. And I've been doing, writing some articles about travels like to the Middle East, Europe, um, to some domestic travel as well. And yeah, it's been great to be part of the team. Yeah, that's right. The first thing we did was what a live stream with you and your dad. Yeah. Uh, and Mark <laughs> and I. Yeah, because we, uh, we were nervous. We didn't want to do it with just you because we wanted to make sure your parents were on board and uh, we'll talk <laughs> yeah. about your parents uh, through this. Cause I think your parents are awesome in the way that they support your, your hobby and your interests. Definitely. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we, we connected there. It's funny cause you have a love of Las Vegas, very similar to mine, especially to the way I love Las Vegas when I was younger. And so we have that in common on the Las Vegas side, but we're, this is the miles to memories podcast. So we'll, we'll talk more about miles and points and you know favorite programs and all kinds of stuff how you love to get on the phone and talk to people it's so funny to me john because you love the phone so much you're always on the phone calling people and you've even offered to make phone calls for me you're like do you need me to call for you like i think that's hilarious yeah like, i don't it's weird like i've learned like over the like especially like this past year like i've learned that the chat the chat agents on like especially like delta delta is like the big one they're the phone agents are so much like more helpful i guess like than the chat agents like the chat agents i remember on delta trying to explain what a, they literally didn't know what a schedule change was i'm like um you work for an airline <laughs> like what do you how do you not know what a schedule change is admittedly and people who listen to the podcast often know that i avoid the phone like the plague and that sometimes bites me in the butt. So it's good to actually have that skill and to have that like willingness to do it. And you're right, there's just times you can get so much more accomplished quickly by talking to somebody compared to like chatting with them or or trying to do it online. And uh, sometimes that gets frustrating. So calling is probably one of the better skills a travel hacker can have. Yeah, and I think also too, like it's like if you need something urgently done, like the, the phone call like, or with the chatting, I mean, chatting it's like the, you just you, there's a lot of just wasted time of like them looking up stuff you going back and forth but with the phone it's like you're there they have to get it done like as soon as possible so it's yeah it's definitely a lot faster i think especially for airlines now i wanted to kind of start by asking how you got into miles and points and when you started kind of collecting them and i know that one interesting thing here is you obviously are 15 and that you started this even younger than that. So a lot of your stuff is done through your parents with their permission and sort of helping your parents out to accumulate the right things. But what's really funny is that a lot of the travel you plan, right? I mean, you kind of help pick destinations, figure out hotels, figure out what points and cards your parents need. And they're sort of on board for all of that. 
yeah, basically the first 12 years of my life, I was like, my parents always did like Priceline or Hotwire. Like I remember my, my mom telling me like in San Diego, there was times when my dad would do like the Priceline name your price stuff. And you would get rooms for like $9 a night in like hotel circle and stuff like that. So that's how my parents originally started. And then when I was 12, I kind of discovered like we had some issues with Hotwire. Like we were like, we booked the booked hotels for the wrong date and that kind of since they're all non-refundable you're you're kind of out of luck but um since then i've started to like get into like hilton and that was when i was 12 when i got into that so i think yeah ever since then i've been always like into the loyalty programs what was the first elite status that you uh, i guess acquired for yourself or your parents the way you experienced that for the first time if you count Southwest Companion Pass, my dad had that when he, when I was seven, but the first status, I guess that, so my dad and I shared the same name, which is really helpful because it means that I can get, like for casino statuses, it's basically my dad's name, but also mine, kinda, sorta. <laughs> the first, yeah, the first like elite status we had was probably Hilton Silver status, which doesn't get you that much, but it's, I guess, elite status for sure. <laughs> it's fun though, right? When you've yeah. never had status and especially in like hotels, I remember uh, and I'm doing a, this is going to come out after that, but I'm recording later today, a show with my wife. And I, I remember our first trip uh, to Hawaii and she'd always wanted to go to Hawaii and, you know, had enough miles and points to do it. And back then for the world of Hyatt or actually before world of Hyatt, the, the previous program, you could match to diamond status and you didn't need any qualifications or anything. It was sort of a challenge actually, but they gave you the status during the challenge. So I matched right before. We went to Hawaii and we got basically the equivalent of modern globalist benefits. They didn't give you room upgrades to suites back then, but they had a welcome amenity, treated you really well. Even like special lays for, for top tier elites at that property, the Hyatt Regency Maui. So it was like we were a million dollars, like, you know, walking in, never having status before and, you know, getting treated or at least never having top tier status before and getting treated like royalty there. And, uh, you know, here I am, what, eight years, nine years later, still chasing that Hyatt globalist top tier status. But it is cool that first status, that first kind of realization that you can shortcut some things and get a lot better travel for less, right? Yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like I like when, what I really realized of what, how good like elite status is, was when I left the country for the first time. Like I remember, I guess this was last summer, but I remember like in the US, you're, if you get, if you get a sweet upgrade as a Hilton diamond, that's pretty good. Like that's pretty hard to get, but internationally it's like, you realize like, wow, they really do treat you well compared to, um, domestically, especially Southeast Asia. Yeah. You get treated really, really well all throughout Asia, even in Europe, I've had really good experiences with Hilton, even Hilton gold back in the day, getting upgraded to club rooms and, you know, getting much better service, I guess, than you would probably get at a Hilton here. So I think elite status is definitely one of those double-edged swords, right? There's a lot of people in the hobby who pursue it, who probably shouldn't, you know, they pursue nights. We saw that a lot this year with people doing MGM nights right in Las Vegas to get global status because they didn't have enough stays or spending a ton of money on the Hyatt credit card, even though that's not the best return, but they still feel like they they need it. But people do pursue status sometimes maybe when they shouldn't, but there's a lot of ways to like jump ahead in the line in status where you don't have to do much. You know, right now I'm mourning the loss of my frontier status, you know, that I've had for the last two years just from status matching and paying $49 and I've saved thousands of dollars in flights and stuff like that. So finding those ways to get elite status while also limiting the ways that you actually spend your money and your time, you know, chasing it are probably, it's probably the, the sweet spot, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. And I feel like, like, as you mentioned with global status, it's like, I remember hearing people that spent like, like, like just the amount of nights was just absurd, like 40 something nights, um, like in different Vegas hotel, like, um, of booking at Vegas hotels. It's like, if you're spending all that money to get it, do you really need it? Like it might be cheaper for the stays that you use it for to just buy, like to pay for breakfast, pay for the extra points or cash for the upgrade, like that kind of stuff. But that's just me. <laughs> No, I, I totally agree with you. I think I, I finished the year with 77 Hyatt nights on paper, right? And then I got, what, five from the credit card and another 11, no, another six through spend. So I got 11 total from the credit card. So I spent over 60 nights in beds. I feel like that's enough, a lot of value that I got out of the status. But there's people, to your point, who are spending 15 nights and then they're getting the rest of the nights through spend on the credit card and through doing like MGM stays that they're not really needing those rooms and stuff. So yeah, it's definitely a, an important thing. And as you get into the hobby and you get more obsessed with status, because it gets hard, right? When you have top tier status or you have a good status, when you're traveling without it, you definitely miss it. You feel, you know, it's yeah. a little sad, right? Uh-huh. Definitely. Like it's, yeah, it's, so I've, we've had Hilton Diamond status ever since COVID. And like, it's overall, like, I feel it's hard to say like, well, when eventually, cause I'm not sure if we'll pursue it for 2023. So it's like, when I think about it, will I miss it or not? Like, it's like, what, well, I probably won't miss it that much domestically. Cause it's like, all you get these days is like a breakfast credit and that's about it. But internationally, it'll be like, wow, it will, it, it'll be hard to, as you said, it'll, you'll miss it a lot. Yeah. That's why I just, uh, upgraded one of my surpass cards back to the Aspire because I didn't, I spent 30 nights in Hilton's this year, which is the most I've ever spent in Hilton's. Wow. And just because I'm traveling so much and, you know, semi-nomadic at this point. So I feel like it's worth having the diamond status, but obviously not worth pursuing it to qualify normally. So I just upgraded a surpass to Aspire right before the end of the year. And that gave me that $250 travel credit or incidental credit for last year. And then I can get it again this year. The hope is it used to be when you upgraded a surpass to an Aspire, that you got the free night as well before the renewal date. So you got it when you upgrade and then you get another free night when the annual fee comes due. And my annual fee is going to come due in like in March. So the hope would be that I get the $250 credit in 2022, again in 2023, and then the annual fee hits. And then I, I don't know if I'll keep it or not. I might just keep it for the year. But the point is that there's still value in that Aspire card. And I'm glad that they have it because... I do like, as you said, that Hilton International treatment is pretty good for diamonds. Yeah. And like, yeah, my mom has one of those Aspire cards as well. Like, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess there's a couple of those cards out there, but like, I feel like, like the platinum card, I guess, is also, it's kind of, people call it a coupon book, which it kind of is, I guess. But like, I feel like the Hilton Aspire card not only pays you, but it actually has like really useful benefits for travel. Like it has the airline credit, which can be like for United Travel Bank, you could use it for that. The, there's like a trick with Southwest. Like it does have some like actual, like on paper, really good perks for um, for people who travel. Yeah, with all of the no lifetime language targeted offers for platinum cards this year, and then like just the Aspire, and my dad has an Aspire card, my United Travel Bank balance is getting scary big at this point. I got to find some United flights to uh, to figure out how to burn this. But I'm glad that that works, and I'm glad that it's been something that's continued to work. And I know that, like you said, there's other airlines and ways you can do it. And of course, you can still spend those incidentals the way that they're probably intended for seats and things like that. But always nice to be able to kind of combine all of my different credits from cards into that travel bank. And then, I don't know, maybe I'll use it for Japan, definitely use it for, for something interesting, maybe Hawaii, something like that. But I have uh, several thousand dollars now 
in travel bank credit, which is crazy. Yeah, just don't procrastinate like um, like you mentioned in the past. And like, it, I think it expires in five years. So like you'll wait until like four and a half years in that won't be good. But like, yeah, those those incidental credits, those really saved my mom and I over the summertime because it was, we were supposed to go from uh, Bangkok to San Francisco and we were supposed to stop in like Tokyo Haneda. We had a 17 hour layover. Like that's what we had booked in the hopes that Japan would open up, which it never, it it is now, but it, it wasn't in back in July. So I convinced a United agent to change it to Narita so we'd have a shorter layover. And that meant that we wouldn't, like the, the flight was full at that point and there's only like those preferred seats left. So that, I think it was, we had like 80 bucks left and it was 70 for the seats. So that totally saved us. Like sometimes those, there's like actually a good use for it other than just like using the travel bank or. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually use the stuff as it's intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true because in this hobby, you get so caught up in trying to maximize everything and, you know, take advantage of, you know, this little trick or this little hack. And sometimes it's just best to use it for what you need it for. And uh, yeah, that's absolutely good. I, I, you know, speaking of procrastination, you got my number. I was spending the end of the last year, like on the 30th, going through all my FHR credits, trying to book stays. And it's always a grind. I do not plan to procrastinate on the travel bank. I may actually use it for Japan this year. Unlike probably a lot of people out there, I'm willing to fly economy to Japan when I'm flying with my family. I've done it before a couple of times. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the funnest thing in the world, but if I can redeem some of that for some cash tickets to Japan, I'll probably do that. Business class probably would be a little bit too expensive on cash. So I don't know, but uh, I, I got some good uses. And always, like I said, Hawaii is easy. Maybe I can just do a Hawaii trip a year to make sure I'm continually using that. And I have to worry about the, the price. If the prices are high, oh, well, I'm just burning travel bank credit. Yeah. And also, too, like I was pretty impressed by United's like Mexico network from Houston. And I know your wife's like from, I think, Alcapulco, you said, right? So you could yeah. potentially like visit that area. Like there's, yeah, United definitely does have a lot of great uses. Like there's cheap flights to like Bogota, Colombia. There's a bunch of places where you could definitely use those like other than Japan. And oh, yeah. I mean, anywhere United flies which they have yeah. such an extensive network. I wish that it was open to Star Alliance partners, then it would really be yeah. fun. But, uh, yeah, yeah since you can't fight A&A, because A&A <laughs> would be awesome to Japan, but like even in economy, because I thought it was great, for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's pivot a little bit. What's your favorite hotel loyalty program right now? The one that you find that you're you know pursuing and you're spending the most time with? It's high, but I don't, it's not really globalist because it's just the 60 night thing is just hard for my parents and I just because it like it's just more about Hyatt's footprint I guess because they're they're not in every city like Hilton is for the most part so I think like Hyatt's kind of my focus also because um with Hilton Marriott IHG they all have like a state or a government discount rate but then Hyatt has it as well yet they don't have wording in it that says like you have to be like have official government travel so that's meant like my mom and I for example like next summer we have a cruise out of Miami the cash price for the Hyatt Regency is like 400 and something bucks or the best flexible prices the um the state government rates like 130 so it's it's just worth pursuing it just for that reason I think but um like I know we don't get the same benefits with with Hilton like the breakfast I guess the uh, $15 credit, those can be helpful at times. But I think even so, Hyatt's got to, got a lot to offer. And I just got like my travel agent certification or I had a number. So that's meant that we could, I could book travel for myself and then get those perks. So I think it, overall, we're kind of covered for Hyatt. So I think, yeah, that, that's probably the program that I'm, that I'm most focused in uh, going after. It's so funny. Yeah, I forgot to mention that you're a travel agent as well now. 
such an overachiever. Uh, I mean, how, how difficult was the process of becoming a travel agent and getting your certification? I was expecting it to be like hard, but it really, so there's this site called Fora that they, it's basically, they kind of advertise the idea that you can kind of do travel agent as like a side job. So it was, it basically, I signed up for the, the wait list in March. And then I finally got an email last month about like, would you like to join? And it was like 40 bucks for the, um, for the quarter. And I've already made like 60, just rebooking travel for myself, rebooking it for like for my family. So I think overall, like it, it's definitely, if you can sign up for it, it's probably a no brainer just because of the commissions that you get even for booking for yourself. I think so. Yeah. It's an interesting perspective. And then you get travel agent rates and yeah. other perks along the way too. What about on the airline side? Are there any airline loyalty programs that you pursue? What are your favorites there? It's not, I guess it's, it's, I guess we're more kind of free agents on that side. Cause it, it's hard being, I guess for, since we're, since like, since we're in live in Vegas, it's hard to, there's no like dominant airline, like Southwest is one, but they don't really have that great of like an international network. So I think it's, yeah, it's kind of more just like what airline has the cheapest flights. That's what we'll kind of fly. But I guess Delta was previously the airline that we like shifted toward, or we were like more loyal towards just cause they had, since my grandparents live outside of Savannah, it's pretty convenient to be able to just stop in Atlanta and then have like a 50 minute flight. So I think, yeah, Delta's gotta be, I guess the closest thing to that, but with their program being as it is, like the sky miles program being as it is, it's, eh, it's, it's not that great. Yeah. I mean, Vegas is an interesting city, right? Cause you don't have any of the major airlines with big hubs here. And so if you're flying American Delta United, you're connecting through one of their hub cities usually. And we also have this glut of economy airlines, low cost carriers. Spirit has a huge network here. Frontier has a huge network here. Allegiant is based here and they have a huge network. So you know, yeah, it makes sense. I, I found myself obviously being a free agent more uh, being here. And then of course, RIP my Frontier status. I don't really know what I'm gonna do because I had so many cheap like $30 trans you know, con flights down to Florida where I won't get that anymore. Although the good thing is when I lost my status, uh, when you have that status, you get a free discount den membership. And since it had been more than a year since I had signed up for that, on December 31st, I went in there and I was able to re-up that for a year. So at least I got a free discount den membership if I want to fly Frontier. But yeah, it's not always easy utilizing those major programs from Las Vegas, evidenced by the fact that I have tons of AA miles that I've been trying to burn forever. And uh, I do when it comes, you know, when it's handy and stuff, but I think shopping by price is pretty good and having that uh, that as an ability. Uh, you and I flew Allegiant. I think it was your first time on Allegiant, right? Uh, about, what, a month or two ago? This was my third time, I think. Yeah, because we flew them We flew them once like a couple years ago to Boise to go see like Yellowstone in that area. And then we, my mom and I flew during COVID and them another time from Vegas to Omaha. It was just a weird Midwestern road trip that I guess with COVID restrictions being as they were a couple years ago, that was like a good place to explore and knock off a few states <laughs> yeah so you you were you out hacked me on the on the allegiant flight i mean to be to be fair to myself i wasn't trying to hack anything yeah. traveling by myself i do not want to be stuck in 29 inch legroom i'm six foot two i'm a big guy i it, it's just it's just not fun so we had this uh flight from austin to las vegas and coincidentally we were on the same flight uh and this was following a mtm diamond meetup and uh, so I paid for like 20 bucks. It wasn't very much for the exit row aisle so that I had enough leg room. And that factored into my, you know, the price of the ticket was dirt cheap. So it all was pretty cheap for me. But your, your desire to hack everything kind of shown through. And so you refused to check in, refused to check in, knowing how they fill the seats. 
and uh, everybody checked in. Everybody got the bad seats towards the back. Here you come, check in with you and your dad. Get the exit row right next to me. Literally, the two seats, the middle seat and the window seat next to me. I have no clue how that I paid for it. <laughs> it was crazy. Like, yeah. Out of 180-something seats or whatever, 150 seats, I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> it's it's interesting, though, with the with Allegiant that they did give us the exit row, I think, because... Um, on Frontier, I remember my dad and I, my parents and I flew them to from Vegas to San Francisco in October, and they just let the middle the exit row go empty. And it was it's for like a, a Frontier trip that we have coming up. The f- check in like we booked it at the airport because it's a lot cheaper. And the f- the ticket counter agent told us that it's basically like sixty bucks flat or not sixty bucks flat, but it just remains static at sixty bucks. Well, with Spirit, I know for their exit row, it goes, it, like for my dad recently, it went down when it got closer to check-in in price. So kind of interesting with that. Yeah, variable pricing is interesting, especially with Spirit. Now, if you try to do it same day, usually it, it, they jack up the price. Like when you're checking in, the prices, the seats tend to be more. But yeah, they they base their prices on demand. So as the seats fill up, so if you're like, when you're booking months out, Maybe the price is a little bit higher because a couple people early on big booked a premium seat or something. And then a week before the flight, maybe they're going to lower the prices to try to fill those up because it's lost revenue for them. So, but yeah, you're always uh, kind of having an angle on everything. Do you do that often when you're checking in for flights where you strategically choose when to check in and, and stuff like that? So I guess for the um, for the mainline airlines like um, Delta American, those ones we just I usually just try to check in twenty four hours out because I I've I don't know how true this is but I've heard in the past that like for airlines they basically assign you a like a a number so you're like first to check in second to check in so that means when they go to if the flight's full and they decide that they need to bump people the people that checked in last they'll be the ones that'll be bumped first. So for other than for Spirit and Frontier and um, Allegiant, it, it's there's probably a benefit to be checking in as soon as you can, but it, but I guess it, it's probably not as much of an issue now because they also focus on elite status and other factors like that, but it might be worth looking into, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to be that person uh, on any of the airlines who's not checked in who gets put on to standby when they, when they fill up the flights, especially if you're traveling during busier times and yeah, don't have that yet. And I think it's a little different too with them because... You can usually select seats for free with those airlines. So you can at least choose your kind of position, make sure you get an aisle and, you know, it's better to do that ahead of time. Whereas with the budget airlines, unless you're paying, you're not going to get a seat assigned until check-in. And uh, it works a little bit different with that. I did want to, I don't want to focus too much on your age because I really want to emphasize to people out there that you punch above your age. You're, you probably have as much knowledge as anybody when it comes to all of this stuff. But I think you also have a unique perspective in that you are so young and it kind of gives you a different way, maybe a fresh way of looking at that. What do you think, you know, you've started traveling a lot more internationally and you've taken a lot of big trips. What do you think are the benefits of traveling while you're young, you know, while you're a kid, seeing the world as you're growing up? I think um, you and your wife like had this, like had a similar mentality, but I th- yeah, like I think it's just overall, it's good to see the world when you're young. Cause it's like, I remember you were saying that you didn't really care if you just slept on like an air mattress, but like, well, when you're like um, 40, 50, 60, you get kind of worn out faster. Like I've kind of seen like my mom in the past, she was, she was totally fine with going to Europe on like a 20 day trip. But this last summer after like, after doing a lot of walking, which if you go to Europe, you're definitely, if you want to see the, see the continent, well, you're definitely going to want to do like walking from like around the city and stuff like that. And she's kind of 
I, w- I don't want to use the word slow down, but like she's just, she, I guess she gets kind of like tired faster and it's, it's just, it's more exhausting than it was when she was like 30. Like that's how she saw Europe. And it's now she's, she was kind of saying to me la- after the last trip, like, I'm not sure if I can do this again. So it's, yeah, there's definitely that benefit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. And this is something I preach all the time. I hate the American sort of ideal that I'm going to work hard and then I'm going to travel when I retire. And it's great to travel when you retire. It's great to travel when you're old. It's great to travel at every age. But when you visit a place in your 15 or your 25 or your 35 or 45 or 55 or 75, it's going to be a different experience. You're going to experience it in a different way. You're going to be a different person. Your interests are going to be different. The things that you like to do, your energy levels. And so that's why I think it's really cool to, if it's possible for people to revisit places in different periods of their life. And having those like baseline memories, I know my son talks a lot about it and he has really fond memories of traveling places when he was really young, your age, things like that. And he's excited to kind of go back. He's most likely going to be going to Thailand in the next uh, couple of weeks. And he's been able to go there when he was seven. And then again, when he was like 18 and to kind of go back and maybe establish a relationship with that place over time, it's really interesting. And then to your point, when you're young, you can do a lot more get away with a lot more than when you're older you know you don't have to pay the price of uh, your your bones aching and, and things like that and you know when you're older you probably should be in a nicer place but when you're young it's it's okay i've noticed that when i was like eight or nine my mom said to me like where do you want to live and like even now where do you want to live when you're older and i feel like traveling it kind of helps you understand like where where in the world do you want to live like in do you want to is Cincinnati, Ohio, a good place to live for you? Or is it San Diego, California? Like by traveling, I think you get to see the world and see where, where you want to end up in your life and where you want to work and all that kind of stuff. So I think, yeah, travel definitely has a lot of benefits when you're younger. And then, as you said, when you, when you're retired, you kind of want to settle down, stay in one place. And then when you're younger, that's not as big of an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Does the travel create a divide between you and maybe the kids you go to school with? I know in some cases when my son was your age, he would hide the fact that he had traveled so much because, you know, either I don't know if he'd get made fun of or it created a division between him and, and his friends who didn't travel nearly as much. But it, ultimately, it sort of shaped his view of the world in a much broader way, which I think is really good. But do you see a disconnect between your peers and you just because you travel so much more and uh, a lot of people just stay close to home? Yeah, like I think overall, like in school, I feel like a lot of kids are like into video games, stuff like that, like sports. And there's nothing wrong with that, I think. And But I think like for me personally, travel is like my number one hobby. So I think people can't, it's hard for people to relate to that. Like people are like cool and they kind of just shrug it off. But that's like, that's the extent of it. And otherwise they don't pay attention to it, I guess. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll make sure to distribute this podcast to uh, your entire high school so they know who you are, give you some street cred for that. They'll, they'll all be booking their future travel. Once they become adults, they'll call you up as a travel agent, book all their travel forms. So you yeah, got a built-in audience. Yeah, <laughs> building that business now. So how does it work with your parents? Let's say, do they determine where you go? Or at this point, are you sort of really driving the train as far as finding destinations and putting together a trip? I guess it's a mixture of both, both things. Like it's like, there's some trips like uh, my mom and I also sometimes go to like, we'll usually have like an 
during the summertime, usually like my family will rent a, like a rent a house or rent like a condo for a week in like Amelia Island, which is like outside of Jacksonville. There's like a Ritz Carlton there, some stuff like that. So I think like for those trips, it, my parents or my mom will say like, since it's usually my uncle who decides, my mom will say, look for like flights for these days. And then there's also other trips, like say to go to Israel over spring break. Those are the trips where like I'm more in control. So I guess it's kind of a mixture of both things. And on the earning side, how do you guys earn your points or how, how are you making sure that you have the miles and points for the trips that you guys want to do? So I guess for that, it's more, um, my mom, my mom, and I guess it's more, so my mom's not, she's, she's had the platinum card and then like the Hilton Aspire card. So those are like, I think she, she kind of wants to keep like a three, like a three credit card limit, I guess. So it's, uh, so it's more, I guess it's more my dad who drives like the earnings since he owns a business. It's, it's easier for him to rack up points and stuff like that. So he, yeah, I think overall it's more my dad that earns the points, but I guess I've also like just through stays and stuff like that, that's helped out a lot with points, like staying at Hilton's and Hyatt's and that kind of stuff. Are you waiting for your 18th birthday? Are you excited for that where you can get your own credit cards and really like drive the ship on your own earnings? And are you going to have a three card limit? Or are you going to be one of those people with like 60 cards? It's a good question. Like, I'm not really sure yet, but I think, yeah, I'll probably be on the more on the 60 card spectrum. <laughs> like all the good travel hackers. I don't know if yeah. I have 60, but I have more than I can count. So let's just put it that way. So I guess that's, that's the good uh, measure of, of what you're doing. When you're searching for trips, what tools are you using? Or do you just go to the individual programs? Are you using any of the search aggregators? How has that evolved for you over the years? And what are you doing right now with that? Like, I guess usually my starting tool is going to be Google Flights, just because I like my favorite way of searching that stuff is like, I think you can do up to like five airports for the origin. So you could do like Las Vegas, LA, San Francisco, um, San Diego, San Jose, places like that. And then you just can do it to like a region. So you could just do like those places to Europe. And then you could do like flexible for six months for a weekend trip for a week trip a two week trip. And then you can also pick specific months you want to go. So I think, yeah, overall Google flights is definitely my favorite tool for finding places to go. And then also I've like, I did like the point.me like dollar a month trial. And I like that. That tool is great too. It's just, it's definitely a bit slow, but it's, it's helpful because otherwise there's not really any great alternative other than like searching each individual airline site. I agree with you hundred percent. Google flights is a godsend and it's the first place I go when searching things to get an idea of prices, because, you know, it's good to have miles and points, but there's sometimes that the miles and points cost is prohibitive compared to the cash cost where it's just cheap to do it. It's one of the reasons I've taken so many frontier flights, right? Uh, because, you know, I can fly to Orlando for $30. I'm not going to go redeem like 13,000, you know, miles or 12,000, whatever it's going to be, or 20,000. Heck, sometimes with the way these variable awards are now to fly across <laughs> the country, it's crazy. Yeah, like for an upcoming uh, diamond meetup, there's the sky miles cost was I think it was like 60,000 miles each. I'm like, that's just insane. Like, um, it was across the country, but I'm like, we're not paying that. And in the end, I think we got um, we booked it yesterday for like 130 bucks round trip on Frontier. Like it was Frontier can be a lifesaver in some of those cases. Yeah, absolutely. I was sad I wasn't able to book for like our Memphis meetup with Frontier before my status expired because I don't know where I'll be going from. I should have probably booked a speculative one from Las Vegas, but I didn't. I did book a couple other ones because uh, the good thing about the Frontier status is you get the works bundle included when you book. So I get all the perks when I'm booking. So even though I don't have the status when I fly, I'll still already have the seats and the free bags 
and all of that. So I did lock in uh, a few of those, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting uh, with that. All right, so you're young, and so I think younger people now use social media in a vastly different way than older people, right? I mean, most older people and a lot of people in this hobby are on Facebook, and that's a big part of this hobby, a big part of the communities, Facebook groups like ours, premium Facebook and Slack groups like our Diamond Lounge, which is just really amazing. But there's a whole kind of ecosystem of travel hackers, miles and points people on other social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram. Do you follow that whole world or are you kind of stuck with us old people? I guess I'm more stuck with like the old people side. I think that's the whole like TikTok and Instagram thing. That's one of the issues with the travel industry today. Like there's, I, I've seen, like I haven't, I've heard of videos, I guess more than anything of people talking about like platinum cards and how they get you into Centurion lounges and stuff like that. And I think that's the issue with, with a lot of those like priority pass Centurion lounges is it's like, it used to be like a great place to escape like the hustle and bustle of the airport. And now it's just become like an all you can eat buffet, all you can drink kind of place. And I think that's kind of caused a, a overall like decline in the travel environment. There's not as good behavior, stuff like that. It's a good point. I mean, the virality of stuff has really changed with the emergence of TikTok and Instagram sort of following suit with this short form video and people will share things. And I, I think a whole other generation is kind of being opened up to things like, to your point, airport lounges and other things that only a, maybe a select group from previous generations would have ever even discovered or knew existed. And you saw that at a time where like American Express also pivoted who they target, right? They went from really a tar uh, targeting affluent people to trying to get more everyday people. And they've been successful with that, with their platinum product. And that's evidenced by the lines you see everywhere. And yeah, the, the travel experience probably is diminished by social media because it was our good secret that we kept for a long time. And it's kind of out there. And yeah, yeah and then people want to, to your point, get, get all the free drinks. They want to kind of live it up. And so you don't even have that relaxing sort of environment that you used to. Yeah, and then also too the um the with the platinum card having the Walmart Plus be, uh, membership like that that really showed like Amex's target they're trying to target the like the younger and more everyday consumer versus like the affluent richer consumer. Yeah, and they just came out I think in the last couple of weeks talking about that and how well it's done for them, and uh, they've certainly been able to be very successful through the pandemic. We still question some of these crazy sign up bonuses, these targeted offers. But American Express keeps doing very well. So whatever their strategy is and their wider strategy seems to have worked. But yeah, the, 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 the landscape's changed for sure. And do you think that that's going to be challenging to the travel hacking hobby, to the miles and points hobby, getting wider exposure, the virality of videos? So little travel hacks, little things that we took advantage of now going wide to millions and millions of people that may cause things to change in the wrong direction? I definitely think so, like, because I feel like that's why it's kind of, especially like it was really true last summer trying to get business class to Europe, for example. I think a lot of people accumulated like millions and millions of miles during COVID. So that's meant that it's it was harder for miles and points hackers to like use their normal like sweet spots, like say, um, get Lufthansa first class two weeks out, like the, the plane might have been full at that point, like stuff like that. It's definitely going to change stuff in the negative way, I think. Yeah. And Younger generations just are more open to, to that stuff. I think they're also more used to loyalty programs and kind of navigating them and they kind of grew up with them, right? I mean, loyalty programs have come into their own in the last 10, 20 years and now 
everywhere you go, there's a loyalty program and there's rules that you have to learn and there's elite statuses and there's all this stuff. And I think more people now are just used to that. They're used to the idea. Maybe they're not as serious about it as us where we're trying to pay for the majority of our travel or we're trying to get millions of miles and points, but they are aware of the ecosystem. They're aware that they can get a card and get some free travel and more people, it seems like are doing that compared to what was happening, you know, 10 years or so. And there's only so much inventory. There's only so many airport lounges. There's only so much stuff. So I feel like it's going to put downward pressure on some of that stuff. And then some of the deals that we come across, some of the sweet spots, they'll probably die quicker because you're going to get greater exposure. Uh, you know, people used to complain about blogs, writing about stuff. Don't put it on the blogs. Oh, you bloggers are terrible for sharing deals. The reach of blogs is, you know, a fraction of what it is on the social media platforms, unless you're the biggest of sites like the points guy or something. Blogs don't reach nearly the amount of people. Anybody can make a TikTok and have it go viral and get millions and millions and millions of views. That's very different than in the past. Definitely. And like, as you mentioned, like with the whole TikTok thing, there's, I think there's a lot of people that are interested in flying like Emirates first class, like that went so viral. I think that's probably that shows right there. Like that was, I think kind of the beginning of where people really took advantage of miles and points. Cause I think the Emirates first class becoming pop popular. I think a lot of people realize that and they're like, I have miles to use. So might as well use them for a popular product. And then just this week it got significantly de um, devalued. So I think, yeah, you're definitely right about that. Yeah. It's a changing world. And I think uh, for people in the miles and points hobby, it's going to continue to change. Although there are some really good creators on TikTok and Instagram putting out really good information, there are a ton of people who do not know what they're talking about. So you got to take like advice with a grain of salt. I guess it's the same thing in the blogosphere, but I feel like you just get greater exposure to more people. And there's just people who signed up for their first Chase Sapphire preferred card, and now they're experts on travel hacking. That can be a little frustrating for somebody like me who's been doing this for 15 years, but... It also brings a fresh energy and there are some really good creators who know what they're doing. And so it's an interesting kind of world that I tap into a little bit. Although like you, I'm kind of caught with all the oldies like myself on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, most of the time, I, I do love my Twitter. Twitter for miles and points is a great place to be. There's a lot of good people, knowledgeable people, good discussions that happen there. And do you agree? I mean, I see you're on Twitter quite often. Yeah, definitely. I think there's in both platforms for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some great discussions that go on. And there's a lot of interesting people, as you said, that bring up great points and stuff like that, for sure. All right. So let's, uh, let's close this out by giving people some inspiration. What is your favorite hotel that you've ever stayed in? So I know there's, I haven't stayed at overall, like that many luxury hotels. Like I've spent a lot of time staying at like Hampton Inns, hotels like that. But I think, yeah, internationally, I think it has to be the Park Hyatt Bangkok, like nothing to me compared to that. Like it was the, when I remember like we checked in when the front desk agent escorted us to our room and then like 15 minutes later, we came back downstairs and they're like, hello, Mr. And Mrs. Ryan. I was like, wow. Like that's, uh, we went to breakfast the next morning. She, the lady was like, oh, you need to try like Thai food and, and like stuff that we otherwise hadn't, wouldn't have considered trying. And the next morning she asked us and recommended some dishes. Like it's it, the service there was impeccable. I thought. That's interesting. Cause that hotel is when I've heard mixed things about from Hyatt people, the rooms there look a little strange. I think a lot yeah. of people complain cause it's just mo much more expensive. There's a new Hyatt Regency there. The grand Hyatt has been there for a while. I stayed at both of those. Uh, but I think people complain just because the Park Hyatt's a lot more expensive, but it sounds like they're delivering on the service side. 
Yeah, I've heard of a lot of a lot of people say like there's better hotels in Bangkok, which I'm sure there is. Like there's always better hotels that like that are, might be independent. That like, and I think that's the thing is it's not always great to stay at Hyatt or Hilton hotels. It might be good to try like a local brand, which I guess is something that I admit to to not doing. But um, but yeah, I think the the hotels for my mom and I delivered well, and I think, but I think there's also some people that have seen like mixed have had mixed service experiences. And I've also heard that there's certain rooms on low floors can be quite noisy, like since the BS train goes right by it. So I think, yeah, there's, there's some things that can be improved on, but for my mom and I, it was a great hotel. And what is your favorite destination? What, what's your favorite place that you've ever visited and why? And how did miles and points play into that? So I think um, it had to be probably the Hilton Phuket, that was, or the, I guess, yeah, the Hilton Phuket and then also just Phuket in general. Because I think the... Um, the hotel, the Hilton there was just awesome. Like it was, the rooms could have definitely seen, can be improved. I think like it was, they're definitely quite old, but for, it was like, I think 65 per night. We got upgraded the day before to a, like a junior with the TV. And then basically breakfast was free. And then um, the executive lunch had good enough food for lunch and dinner that you could basically make a meal out of it. So I think, yeah, that hotel has to be probably my favorite in a great destination. I think in the beaches in Phuket were awesome. I thought, um, but I'm looking forward to, um, next summer, we're planning on probably staying at the, um, the Grand Hyatt Bali. And for that hotel, Bali's full of great Hyatt suite spots, I think, like for, for a, st a standard suite that's, I think, 1,500, 1,700 square feet, it's only 8,000 Hyatt points. Like, that's pretty awesome. Where else do you get that? Like, on the sea. Yeah, the Bali is an incredible value destination, especially with Hyatt. A lot of people don't know, but the original Hyatt in Asia was the Bali Hyatt. Uh, which I think opened sometime in the 70s. I stayed there about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago on a solo trip that I did. And it was a category one. And I also visited the Grand Hyatt, which was a category two at the time. still is a category two. The Bali Hyatt oh, no, I think closed. it's a category one. They both are category oh, The Grand ones. Hyatt is? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so it went down. Okay. So the so the Grand Hyatt went down to category one. That's, that's crazy. Uh, but back then it was like 5,000 points a night. The, the Bali Hyatt at the time was very dated but they had a great club lounge and the property there at the gardens and the beach is amazing it closed down for about four years and then it reopened as the hyatt regency bali which looks really great and now they built an andaz right next to it and so that's in a different area from where the grand hyatt is but both those areas are cool and the grand hyatt has like you said the standard suites there are giant and i've heard they have a really good club lounge i back in the time when i stayed at the bali hyatt they ran a free shuttle between them and so I was able to take the shuttle and spend the entire day. I had free use of the resort property at the Grand Hyatt, swim in the pools, really nice pools and beach there as well. And like, yeah, you can, you can stay on Hyatt points in Bali for a long time. And if you have status, then you're talking about club lounge access. The breakfasts were great. I mean, I had such a good time. I, I almost felt guilty being there by myself because I was on a solo trip and I didn't have my wife and family with me. But it, it's a great destination and an interesting one as well. Yeah, like it shows Bali is like a great example of like how valuable Hyatt points can be because in comparison, Hil the Hilton Bali and then the Conrad Bali, they're like 60,000 points a night. Like that's crazy. <laughs> and then on the other hand, it's like 12 times less the value for the for the Hyatts. And also too, it's not much more for the standard suite, but then for Hilton, it's probably a million something points based on how their program works. That's great. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The ability to book suites with points in the Hyatt is great, especially when you have very good value properties that are in the lower categories. So now the suites are just not that expensive 
And I agree with you. The Grand Hyatt is a very sweet spot in that realm because you get the big suite, you get good club access and, and everything else with that. So a great value there. I think my takeaway is that you really like Thailand, which I agree is an incredible travel destination. I don't think it's a big Definitely. secret, but it's a wonderful yeah. place to go. Yeah, like the the people, like I, I was amazed at the people, like they couldn't be nicer. They probably, there's, I guess Mexico, Mexico has some great people as well. There's, I mean, there's plenty of, every country has great people, but I felt like the Thailand, the Thai people couldn't have been friendlier. And I think it might've also had some relation to COVID I thought, because they're like, when we were there, they were, you could tell like everything was empty. So I think any tourists that they could, they could have were like, they, it meant a lot to them. I, I thought so. I think yeah, um, Thai people couldn't be friendlier, and then the value for the dollar in Thailand is also incredible. Like you could get it was. I remember it was like at a Seven Eleven for two drinks and two and um, two bags of chips. It was like two bucks. Like that's crazy. It would be probably eight or nine here. So I think yeah, for Americans, Thailand represents a great value and also great hospitality and cities and yeah. Yeah, and it's a great for travelers of all levels too. From you're talking about the Park Hyatt, and there's, I think every major brand, Four Seasons, Ritz Carlton, Mandarin Oriental. There's all these really high-end five-star hotels there, but you can get a really nice room for twenty, twenty-five bucks at a local place. Maybe not to the the luxury level, but you can get a buy really cheaply. And uh, there's a great sort of network of travelers in Bangkok, a lot of expats and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting in that way, but the food is incredible. The people are incredible. The only bad thing about Thailand is the heat and humidity, in my opinion. It's but, still uh, better than Vegas, I guess, during the summer. <laughs> I guess, but yeah, you don't, you don't buy into the dry heat thing with Vegas. I, I guess it's not, as you said, like, yeah, Thailand, the, the heat definitely can be rough. Like, I guess to me, ever since I went to Dubai, Dubai, like during the summertime, Dubai is just insane. Like there's. I don't think anywhere in the world can compare to like the mixture of like 110 degree heat plus 90% humidity. So I think, yeah, Thailand's definitely better than that. Um, but I think, yeah, I guess if you're near the ocean though, too, it definitely makes it a lot better. It does. And there's a lot of beautiful areas and Thailand is, is a great place. I hope to get back there actually this year, trying to make it work uh, because I just, God, the food, man, Thai food in the U S there are a few places that I've had that kind of compare, but most of the Thai food in Vegas just doesn't compare. It's good. It just doesn't Lotus taste the same. Siam? Yeah, I've yeah. eaten there. Okay. Or it's it's pretty good, but it's not the okay. same as getting something on the streets of Bangkok or for you two know, bucks. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah. The other the other thing about the value is I remember when we went there backpacking the first time in 2008, and you know, just reading about you know Thailand's so cheap right now. Uh, it's never it's it's not going to stay this way. You know, it's going to boom and then it's going to get more expensive. It has boomed and it's as popular as it's ever been, but the price hasn't really changed. The exchange rate has always stayed favorable and things have stayed relatively cheap there, whether it's food or hotels, uh, everything else. So an incredible destination. And I'm excited. This was a great show. I hope to have you back on in future shows so we can, when we're doing more topical stuff, so get your commentary on some of the news and things as we go through it. And, you know, as a reminder to people, you are writing for the site. I know you just submitted a bunch of posts so i gotta go through but yeah there'll be a lot of your a travel lot. stuff coming I'm up. a bit behind <laughs> mainly because of school that was my um my that's the one thing that's the only thing that can limit me is the is the school part of my life <laughs> well that's the most important thing as we all know yeah and, you know it's uh it's great that your parents allow you to 
do all of this while, you know, obviously keeping you honest on school and making sure you're doing that, but that they allow you to kind of balance it all. Definitely. And I guess I'm fortunate because my like my mom's a like a school counselor. So it's great because we can usually travel during the summertime. Like I know if she just had like a typical nine to five job, it wouldn't really let us like we would only get two weeks a year to go somewhere. And it would yeah, travel would be a lot more limited, I think. Absolutely. And both your parents are great. I've met both of them. Awesome people. And uh, I'm so glad that they allow you to work with us and be in our ecosystem. And you're a great contributing member in the Diamond Group and in our regular group on Twitter, everything. I thank you for that. What's the best place if people want to reach out to you as far as asking questions? Is it on Twitter at Vegas Teenager? Is there somewhere else if they want to learn about your travel agent stuff as well? Yeah, I guess, um, as you said, like Twitter's good. And then also too, just if you have any travel agent inquiries that you want me to help out with, feel free to email me at like it's john.ryan at fora.travel. Um, you could definitely reach out to me there and I'm happy to help with any travel agent related inquiries. And yeah, or on the site, you could comment. <laughs> Yeah, you can comment on any of John's articles as he writes them. A lot of his travel reviews, a lot of other stuff, and hoping to give you a bigger voice here in 2023 as well. And as much as you can do, obviously, school yeah. is important. But I'm excited because you have a unique voice, a unique perspective. That's really what Miles to Memories is about, is about bringing unique sort of views. And I don't think there's anyone more unique than you, the teenage phenom of the Miles and Points world. And so grateful that you work with us, but also... Grateful to have this conversation with you. I learned a lot. I hope people out there learned some interesting stuff. And the only thing I learned is that I procrastinate and that I don't like to make phone calls. And I think that's hurting me, John. I think it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think this is where I have to do better in 2023. Uh -huh. That's your New Year's resolution, I guess. <laughs> yeah, every year. And I break it by January 5th, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. But definitely contact John if you're interested. Read his posts on the site. We have a bunch coming up. And you can interact with him on Twitter and elsewhere. Really appreciate you doing that. As a reminder to everybody out there, you can find this podcast at mtmpodcast.com, including all the links. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate five-star reviews, written reviews, even better. And all of our stuff, our posts, podcasts, videos are at milestomemories.com. And I'm at milestomemories all over social media. So hit me up anywhere that you find us and uh, I'll get back to you. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks, John, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, and I appreciate the opportunity. All right, we'll talk to you again soon, and talk to everybody else. Have a great day. Bye.